Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. This is episode 65, and we are discussing the Avengers Age of Ultron. I am here, as always, with my incredible co-host, Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. How's it going, Conrad? I'm pretty excited for this episode. We're talking about the beginning of the summer movie season, and uh, in our crossover today, we're going to put Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 versus Phase 2. Um, and we're going to be talking about top three Whedonville moments uh, in this Avengers-themed episode. But before we get to that, Conrad, I think we got to ho- introduce our guest for this episode. Well, I was trying to build anticipation, so. <laughs> <laughs> and in phase two, no. Um, here joining us today, he's been on at least two different episodes i think he's been evoked on many episodes but he's only been on one and that was our <laughs> house of cards episode making his uh triumphant return back to nerd hour lowen baumgarten welcome back lowen hi guys that was quite a build-up <laughs> well <laughs> i do i do invoke you quite a bit actually <laughs> no and i and usually to, to my defense so i appreciate it conrad <laughs> <laughs> So we've got a lot to talk about today, you guys. Um, we're going to be starting off our discussion with a non-spoiler discussion of uh, what could be this year's, I was going to say this year's biggest movie, but then I remembered Star Wars is coming out this year, so probably one of this year's biggest movies, Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, we'll do non-spoilers and then spoilers, but let's let's get into that. I, you know, I'd be interested just to hear a little bit um, about where you guys are coming into this movie any expectations any any like acceptances you've done around marvel and what what to expect since this is the 11th marvel film what were you guys going into this film hoping for or expecting um i you know i kind of knew a little bit of what to expect you always expect these these big set pieces amazing action and all of that kind of thing. I was very excited because Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were being introduced in this film, as we knew from the the little credit at the end of the the last film, Winter Soldier. So, I, you know, they teased that a little bit. So that was exciting. I, I wanted to see how they were going to incorporate those characters. Ultron is also an interesting villain. So I was excited about that. Um, so I kind of knew it would be a summer blockbuster, but... Um, other than that, not not anything really, you know, like grand expectations, I guess. Lowen, what about for you? So I was really excited. I could not wait to see this movie ever since I saw the first Avenger. So <laughs> I've seen every MCU movie. Um, when I bring that up on dates, it tends not to get land the way I hope. But uh, I've seen every MCU movie. Just go down with the wrong people. (laughs) I was about to say, are you using it as a test to screen people? (laughs) Uh, Test number one, please define what MCU means. (laughs) And list in order. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, and I loved, of all of them, uh, I loved Avengers the most. And I've seen it probably four and a half times. So... I was very, very much excited for Avengers 2. I had very high expectations. I was really excited. Couldn't wait. That's what I came into it with. 
Well, I, I came into this movie not really knowing much at all. I, um, I going back to Avengers one, I had very low expectations of that because I, I had mixed feelings about Phase one of of the Marvel MCU, which we'll talk about in the crossover. But I really enjoyed that. And Lo and I remember you and I were texting back and forth after we saw Avengers and talking about how much we enjoyed that film. So. Um, for some reason, I just had a bad feeling about about this one. I didn't want to get high expectations. So I was hoping for it to just recapture some of the fun I had with the first Avengers film. And I have worked very hard to remain quiet on social media after seeing this this movie. But I have a lot to, to discuss with both of you about this. Um, well, I... I- you know, I know you have been quiet about it, but I don't know. For both of you, I have to ask the question. Is there ever the expectation that the second film is really going to match the first? Do you ever go into it really hoping that it will? Or is there a little bit of an expectation that it might let you down a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think... Especially with a huge franchise like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in some way there was a, you could have harbored a hope that this would be a Whedon, a Jossier movie, you know, yeah. that the Joss, the, the Joss Whedon would have more freedom to sort of make this more of a, you know, uh, ensemble piece with lots of witty banter and everything and fun adventures. Um, and, and so that's what I was hoping for. And, when I walked out, I was very much, you know, all the witty banter I loved. And then there was just a bunch of punching, which was good punching. I enjoyed as well. Um, <laughs> but I can see that in any superhero movie, anytime. And uh, I come, I came to this for the, the weed in moments. Yeah, Conrad, I don't really know how to answer that question because uh, based on experience, We've had really horrible Marvel sequels, and I'm looking at pretty much everything in the Iron Man um, lineup. And then we've had some great sequels, and I'm thinking about Winter Soldier. And just mm-hmm. in general, I think about some great movies out of the uh, out of the park, like uh, 2009 Star Trek, and then Star Trek Into Darkness, which was less so, versus Star Trek The Motion Picture, which was pretty slow and boring, and then Wrath of Khan. Um, so I think my experience has been so varied. I don't really know what to expect anymore, but what I have learned is to temper my expectations because when they do get too high, there's nowhere to go but down and be to be disappointed. All um, right. Well, I just was curious cause I think maybe I was harboring a little bit of that. Mm, it, I, I'm sure it'll be fine, but I kind of didn't want to, maybe it was a way of talking myself, <laughs> Like trying not to be disappointed, managing my expectations. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's sure. Kind of like you know, I, I'm not going to expect too much, and maybe it'll just blow me away. So anyway, just curious. So all right, so let's get on with it. Uh, do we want to do a little bit of a spoiler free? Yeah, let's let's do some non spoiler initial thoughts about this. Um, Lowen, as your, as our guest, why don't you take it the, take it away? Okay, so non-spoiler, let's see. I So I loved it. I really did, uh, you know, I, like I said, I went in expecting a lot, really, really excited. I left in a great mood. I had a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of reviews will say this too. 
it, it's going to be very hard to recap. It was always going to be very hard to recapture the magic of bringing the Avengers together for the first time on screen. And so this movie did not have that. And, and so it, in some ways, I, I agree with Conrad, it's going to be really hard to, to recapture the magic of Avengers 1. Um, that being said, I think Avengers 1 kind of shows its structure very, like it's just, it, it had by assembling the team, it had a lot to do. It showed its structure very clear, clearly. And, when, and so this one feels more like, except with some notable exceptions, which we can get into in the spoiler review, um, feels more like one cohesive story. Um, and so that was really fun and I enjoyed that. And I thought some of the action was really exciting. Uh, and uh, some of the action was okay. And uh, every time anybody sort of, one of the Avengers talked to one of the other Avengers, I was just thrilled. I was laughing. I was, <laughs> you know, I, it was exact, that was exactly what I expected. So that's, I think that's as far as I can go spoiler free. I, I would agree with Lowen on the magic piece of it. There is nothing that, gives, especially a fan, gives that kind of um, that impact and that like sort of chill up the spine uh, that seeing the team get together for the first time is going to do. That said, I think that especially the camaraderie between the different team members and the jossier moments, as Lowen <laughs> put it, were really well done and, and the humor was really well done. I think the action sequences were what you would expect for, for something like this and what you would hope to expect. Uh, there were some jarring moments in it with, for me and with specific characters, and there are a few things that I wish they had done a little bit better um, with one very, to me, a very glaring um, issue, uh, which I can't talk about until we get into, into the spoilery part, so... Um, but overall, but overall, I, you know, I, I will say that I did not have the best viewing experience. Um, and I found this at the Captain America Winter Soldier, and I have found it for a couple of others. Um, uh, like these, these films, I think the expectation, you're going to see a lot of kids at these, at these films, because that's what they're marketed to. But the level of violence that is there, I, you know, and it, I'm not passing judgment on anybody, but, and you know, your own kid, but there was probably like three or four, two year olds in the theater that I went to right behind me. And some of the action, like they were clearly scared. So it was just sort of like, uh, you know, so that kind of took away from my experience a little bit, but I still had a really good time. And it, you know, if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for summer blockbuster, this is not going to, uh, this is going to deliver. It will not disappoint you on that front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I completely, I completely disagree, disagree with both of you guys. Um, I was very much bored by this movie. Mm. Really bored. Um, I I had an ideal viewing experience. I saw it 10 p.m. Um, the day before it opened in a really nice theater with reserved seating and 
seats that actually kind of open up and you can lay down in them. It was amazing. Well, perhaps uh, that's the problem. You were like napping. <laughs> I was, I was kind of tired that day, but 10 PM laying down. <laughs> Does not sound like a good idea to me. I fell asleep. No, I didn't fall asleep, but, um, I was really, really bored by this movie. Um, I think, I don't think it delivers as a summer blockbuster. Um, there, uh, there's some major problem. I, I think this movie is exposing the biggest problems that we have with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel Studios and how they're, um, the direction that they're headed. Um, I, I do think the villain is, um, is not developed, not compelling. I, I probably share some of the concerns that Conrad you were alluding to because they probably involve well, Black Widow. You you and I are a little closer in our opinion, Ali. But I'm saying that if you are going to this for the action and for all of that, you're going to be happy with it. Uh, uh, and I disagree. I, think- I think there's not really a set piece in this film that I found memorable or compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't really many sequences that I I really enjoyed, and I think this this movie what it reminded me of most. And Lowen, you're gonna you'll probably get pretty bummed to hear this, but it reminded me a lot of Star Trek Generations, mm-hmm. where we had really good people involved in writing the script, but they were given a lot of notes from the studio that you need to destroy the Enterprise, you need to kill Captain Kirk, this has to happen, that has to happen. And it reminded me a lot of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 that also existed to set up its cinematic universe, which ultimately failed. Um, it, It was not really an interesting film. And especially, Conrad, after our last episode when we discussed Ex Machina, and AI, I think this film just feels so clumsy and so dumbed down compared to that. Well, I think we well, I'm going to go ahead and object there. <laughs> oh, I no, no. I was going to say I think we should perhaps launch into our spoilers um, because I, I just there's no way I can argue with you about it until we get there. <laughs> so, so are you guys ready to enter into the spoilers? Yeah, I mean, I guess. Look, if you're a Marvel fan at this point, you're going to see this movie despite what anyone says. Um, I mean, before we get into spoilers, would you guys recommend recommend this to the general public, people who aren't necessarily Marvel fans? Um, I think that people are going to enjoy this without knowing anything about it. Um, and... Part of why I say that, Ali, is because I don't know that everybody is as into this sort of film as I am. And some of the problems that I had with it, I don't know if they'll bother everybody. Um, the box office is telling me that people are really liking it. So, you know, I, I would I personally recommend it to people? The answer is no. So that's what I have to say. And Lowen, I'm guessing you're going to say yes. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. I took eight friends. Uh, I bought the tickets, planned the event. I took eight friends. I all the people that passed your screening questions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> once, once, no, these were people who had no idea who Thanos was. Uh, you know, um, so yeah, I definitely would recommend it. I, you know, if you want to go see a, a summer blockbuster and 
you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to steer everybody to Mad Max Fury Road, which is a hard R. So, <laughs> um, you know, and it's going to be, I, I think, you know, I had a lot more fun than Man of Steel. It's going to be better than something like a Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles. I, I think, you're, you know, I, 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 fine. Like, if you're looking for amazing, fun, edge of your seat, beautiful action, everyone should have gone to should have paid $15 to see Edge of Tomorrow in the theaters. Sure. And they, they, that does that, that movie does that infinitely better than Avengers, and I will give you that. But, um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, I, people are going to go and have a lot of fun, in my opinion. All right, All right. well, well let's, let's, let's get into spoilers. There's a lot to discuss. Um, so uh, where should we begin um in this spoiler discussion i I think there's well i I think one thing i would like to bring up um which you know i didn't i hesitate to bring it up in the spoiler free part is that i've been hearing a lot of noise about joss whedon and basically that this film kind of wrecked him and he is handing over the reins after this to other people um and just through the grapevine and this has been through a couple of interviews i did try to steer clear of this kind of thing, just because I didn't want to go into this to to watching this feeling sort of tainted, so to speak, um, and having having these kinds of comments bias me um, against the film. But you know, I think it's very part of the Marvel franchise, and one of the difficult things I really think uh, one of the biggest tasks the directors have is that they're not just working on this one film that's their piece of art, or their it's not their baby, so to speak. It's a lot of people's baby. (laughs) Um, It's uh, trying to integrate the storylines, characters, uh, politics from all these different films, and understanding that you are also setting up for the films that are to come. Um, As Lowen pointed out, the end of this particular phase is going to be Ant-Man. And I think that that's a very hard uh, task to undertake. And one of the things that Lauren was saying in the beginning that I do agree with is that I was hoping to see a little bit more Joss in this film. Some of the humor and the wit and the interaction between the characters, the things that made them really interesting and human and that dynamic between them. The things that honestly we saw more of, I think, in the first Avengers film. I didn't see as much of it here, but where I saw it, I really liked it. Um, there were some really great moments with the characters throughout this film, especially in the beginning, um, just them interacting with each other, which I truly enjoyed. And the the sense of humor was there, but it kind of lost it. And it just felt, um, I don't know, it felt a little bit like a slog. So I'll agree with Ali on the point where some of it did get very boring for me. Um, so... You know, knowing knowing he said something about this film that he there's a point where you get it was something I will find the article so that we can add it to the show notes. But basically saying that it was one of the hardest things that he had ever done and that even even if you like somewhere in, to the point of that, you feel like you're losing. And so it didn't this did not feel like a triumph to me. And I think one of the biggest parts of that is what Ali was saying about the villain here. So, 
the Ultron character. That so, is that is something that I. So, Conrad, before we get to Ultron, I think we should follow up here about something you're saying about the experience of creating this. And, you know, the three of us were not <laughs> involved in that. No, no, but, no. But we are involved in the dissecting of it. And uh, this will come up in our in our crossover about where Marvel is now, having concluded Avengers Age of Ultron versus where uh, Marvel was with uh, Avengers 1. And a few big changes happened. Disney's bought Marvel Studios, and they've, ex- they've been creating more films, and there's a lot more that's going to come in Phase 3. But th- th- I think w- as, a, as a viewer of this film, there are times where it feels like this film does exist to set up future films, future franchises. Um, it, it really felt like to me, especially at the end, look, we have all these new Avengers that we can pay less salaries to, and we're going to be <laughs> retiring the older ones. And this film seems like that moment in the 90s where comic book readers were getting exposed to all these new X-Men comics and new Spider-Man comics and all these things that were supposedly leading up to some event, but they just kind of exist as filler to set up these other events. It felt like that to me, and I think what you're pointing towards with Joss and how he might have been burnt out by this experience is probably related to that, where Marvel Studios is here. But, Lowen, it seems like that was not an experience you felt as a as a viewer. Well, yeah, I mean, there, like I said, there were, I guess, what, what did I say, some notable exceptions. There were mm-hmm. some moments that were pretty blatantly serving the franchise and not serving this story. So the, the and you'll see this in any review you read, um, so it's not me pointing this out alone, but the Thor going into the cave made no sense for this story. <laughs> it was not explained. Yeah. Um, and so that, and, you know, and then other things they did to lead to Marvel Civil War and Infinity War and everything that's, that are coming. Yeah, no, I, there were parts that felt like they were checking off boxes. And I, I could get the Star Trek Generations feel of that. Um, I think the difference here with Generations is that... Uh, like there's, there's just kind of a nothing really, nothing really works or fits in Star Trek Generations at all. Almost, you know, Lursa and Bator don't work. The horses don't work. The omelets don't work. And in this movie, <laughs> um, and in this movie, like I would say, eighty percent of it works. Uh, I, uh, Ultron. I don't know, maybe you guys were, like, primed yourself in the exact opposite way by watching Ex Machina right before this. Although, I'll admit, I saw Ex Machina about two weeks before this, too. Um, But Ultron... Here's the thing with Ultron from from my perspective. His motivation is completely unexplained, but Spader sells it. Oh, I think Spader did a great job, and that's what kind of made me sad about him as a character is that I just didn't really fear him at all. I really didn't believe how powerful he was. I know that he was being semi-held at bay with the Jarvis interface, and I like I understood that, but 
there's, you know, they kind of go and, and he's showing how crazy he is. Like there's this great intro scene with him. And then it felt kind of like they wasted it. Um, mm-hmm. He's learned everything about this whole team. And even though David, even though, um, sorry, uh, Jeremy Renner's character, Hawkeye, is keeping the secret and whatever, somehow he doesn't know about that because Jerry set it all up. And it just, that one, that just seems ridiculous to me. Um, there's a lot of things about him it, it, that I just, I don't know. There's so many cool, evil things that he could have done. And it just didn't, it, it didn't put the fear into me. Like I, I just never doubted that they were going to, to destroy him. Well, this, this um, is- so, so that like, and so even when they're all terrified that he's going to destroy the world, it didn't really pass the test for me, like the villain test, I guess. It just felt like they were kind of like, all right, we're just going to kill him. And then, you know, in introducing Vision, I thought that was like a very cool introduction. But then I also felt like they kind of wasted him, too. Um, So I just had a lot of there were some drawbacks here. And, I, you know, I know it's very difficult to make an ensemble film like this. And you've got some like crazy. I mean, you've got Scarlet Witch and you've got Quicksilver kind of crossing over in here. Um, and those were, those were interesting characters to introduce here. So, but you've got a lot going on and I did feel, I agree. I think it was cohesive. The cave thing though, low and you're, you and I are totally on the same page on, with that. Um, that was sort of like out of left field. I didn't even know. I was like, wait, what? So Do I got, I got to mention a few things here about Ultron. Uh, I, I do, gosh, there's so much to discuss. Um, I think the Ultron example or the Ultron concerns that we're talking about here do expose some of the biggest problems with the Marvel universe. Um, Marvel has beyond Loki and now Kingpin from Daredevil. Marvel has failed to produce um, compelling villains. And it's really unfortunate that we have this, uh, this character who could be so menacing, who is well cast, but kind of fails to to be menacing or interesting, um, and it we we have had such an interesting uh, character with Tony Stark, and I think this it was a nice decision to have Ultron be a creation of Tony Stark as opposed to to Ant Man. I think it works a lot better, um, it, given the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it just doesn't feel compelling and one of the one of the things that's really bothering me here look here we have again we had this in avengers we had this in iron man 3 and now we had this in avengers age of ultron these mind what i call uh npcs these non-playing characters these cgi drones we uh, they fought an army of them in Avengers, we saw a ton of them. We actually saw a lot of them in um, a little bit in Guardians of the Galaxy, but then especially in Iron Man 3 and now here Age of Ultron. I just don't care. I don't care about Earth's Mightiest Heroes just destroying this army of CGI. It's just not that interesting to me. And it's just a shame they had such an amazing actor who was hidden away by this uh, not-that-compelling CGI creation. We had Guardians of the Galaxy last year, which had a CGI Groot and Rocket Raccoon, but there was so much more emotion was communicated in those performances, both in the motion capture as well as the computer-generated imagery and the artists that are involved in that. I didn't get that emotional connection here with, with Ultron. 
Hmm. Yeah, um, I think uh, my take on that is that that that's because so much of Ultron's motivation is left out, is skipped over. That he comes into being angry, and he just wants to kill, kill, kill. Uh, and I think that is, you know, that, that that makes him more of a Marvel villain like Malekith or uh, Ronan. Here's the problem. Which one was Malekith? I don't even remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't name, name any other villains beyond, beyond Loki. Yeah. And, which movie was that? That's Thor the Dark World. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Ronan the Accuser, right? Um, <laughs> Ronan the Accuser, yeah. 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 Um, who's scarier? He's very scary, I think, Ronan, because yeah. he, like, uh, uh, but he's not. So, I, and the thing about Loki that, that works so well is he has pathos. He has a real motivation. We, we are sympathetic to him. Um, and, and so, I, yeah. I, there's nothing about Ultron that is really emotionally compelling. The stuff that he's sort of a mirror image of Tony Stark, that kind of works. It doesn't really work. And that, I think, is a big problem with, with Ultron. I guess my feeling is the movie almost doesn't need Ultron, you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. right. Yeah. So, and that—that's the problem with the, the villain. Yeah. And that has been. And I, you know what I was thinking of as we were just talking here, and Ali and Ali was talking about Kingpin, is that I almost feel. Did you watch Daredevil, Lowen? I haven't started yet, but I, I, I will. I want to try it out. Well, I won't do. You know, we did our Daredevil episode, but I almost think that. Watching Daredevil ahead of this spoiled me a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Just because of the care that was taken with that, and again, it's a different format, and I understand that. But the way, and they're able to build characters in a way that you can't do with a feature like this. Um, And in fact, I I did hear that as as they always do, um, they had to cut down this film quite a bit. And I know when you do that there's things that have to be sacrificed. Um, and maybe some of that was Ultron. I don't know. Um, but he, he just seemed like, uh, knowing what James Spader is capable of, I had a lot of high hopes about him as a villain coming in and was left kind of like, well, it didn't really matter that this was the villain here, um, other than moving this forward into the Infinity wars i well, don't know that's, that's exactly that the thing if you're gonna name the film age of ultron it should really be <laughs> yeah you know it's it's like if you you name wrath of khan you know you're gonna get a lot of wrath of khan <laughs> and well yeah i guess i wanted to see a the age bit. of ultron conrad lasted what two three days how long well, that, and we didn't even really get to see how this was affecting the humans even in this tiny little Part, which I guess is what I kind of wanted to see. Why would a world with Ultron be so scary? You know what I mean? Like, like that's really what I wanted to see evidence of. I wanted to see evidence of why this was so terrifying. And you don't really get a lot of that other than with uh, the Scarlet Witch's terrified reaction and, you know, a little bit of the Avengers, re- uh, of Avengers reaction to... 
I don't know, to, to some of his statements, because he's clearly not human and not thinking in a human way. Well, but, uh, maybe we should talk about those characters. Uh, so we got Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. So the addition of the, of the quote-unquote mutants, we can't call them mutants because of the 20th Century Fox and the rights are over there. But since they're Avengers, Joss was able to get these characters in here too. Uh, did they work for, for both of you? Um, I think she did. I felt like Quicksilver was kind of blah to me. And part of that, I also think, was a little bit ruined for me by uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah. No, uh, 100% ruined. Right? Because of, how, <laughs> because, of how they, because of how they show his pow- powers yeah. in Days of Future Past, they don't do that here. You never get to see how freaking cool he is. Yeah. You just don't. He's just fast. Yeah. It's a really that bothered me. Uh, I thought she was a little bit cooler, but could have been a, a lot more, a lot more formidable here. And again, you know, there. This is one of the critiques Ali and I have had. I don't know if you have it as well, Lowen, but just in terms of their female characters and what they do with them, Marvel just, just they kind of have the best intentions or I hope they do, but then some, they just seem to really fall flat. They, they kick they, butt in comics uh, right now. They're kicking butt when it comes to female characters. There's an all-females Avengers now, for goodness sakes. Um, but when it comes to Marvel Studios and the cinematic universe, they, they've done worse. You know, Conrad, I don't think Scarlet Witch was really done that well. Uh, it, it's kind of seemed... Her powers in this universe just kind of seemed a little weird. No, I said, you know, I think like they started to try to show what she could do, but I wanted to see a lot more. I wanted her to be a lot more badass, basically. So that's, and it just wasn't there. Um, And I don't know. I just, they really, to me, they wasted her character quite a bit. Um, And then, you know, the, the other whole piece of this is that in, you know, with all the the Avengers t-shirts and mugs and all that stuff, I'm oh, sure if you heard yeah. about this, there's very few with uh, Black Widow and there's very yeah. few, you know, with the female characters. And it's like, Marvel, really? Are you yeah. idiots? Seriously. Um, so, and that I mentioned the SNL skit to both of you that they were making, SNL was making fun of. Marvel's treatment of Black Widow and there's like this faux trailer about her in a rom-com. Right. She finally is... gets her own movie and it's a rom-com. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so but but I, I agree with you, Ali. I think Scarlet Witch could have been a lot better. It's sort of like you go through all the trouble of getting Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and, and you did really not a lot of exciting things with them. So that that kind of, that was a little bit of a letdown for me. Yeah, I think the trouble there was that their whole motivation had to be had to come from like this lump of exposition that Elizabeth Olsen is tasked with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in like being locked in like the poor Romanian slum with the undetonated Stark weapon or whatever. And so and and it like it was so uncompelling as exposition that I kept waiting to hear like, oh, what was being exposed to the radiation from that warhead? What gave them their powers? Or like, you know, where, why are we hearing this whole story besides now we hate Stark? Uh, (laughs) And and so, yeah. So they, um, 
I guess I was always more excited for the vision than I was for Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Um, the, so what did, what did you think of Vision then? I thought Vision was really cool. I thought um, I thought Vision was really cool. I sort of liked him the more time he spent on screen. Uh, the beginning was a little abrupt, sort of how he comes into being and then just tells everybody how it's going to be. Yeah, you kind of have to just, just not, not think about that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was nice seeing Paul Bettany in, the, in the flesh. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Well, I guess, you know, because, and this is the thing, I... I there were little things that I was happy about it, with his appearance because I guess maybe this is part of the problem with being a fan is that I know what he's capable of. So how they used him in the, the fight against Ultron just seemed very silly to me. Um, but I did like, you know, the nice little bits, the, the bit with him and Thor and the hammer was mm-hmm. awesome. And that was, that was wonderful. Awesome. That was a wonderful um, use of the funny little scene that we saw in the beginning of the film where all of them are trying to pick up his hammer and it was just very well done. So that that actually highlights, I think, the best part and the worst part about this film. So if we back up for a moment to Scarlet Witch, I think Lowen, you're right. There's so much exposition dump here with the whole Skavokia thing or whatever. Like this place that isn't real and we've never seen in the MCU before and no one really cares about. All of that was pretty poorly done. And Scarlet Witch exists to create this conflict in the characters, in the team. And it it's sort of, whereas Avengers is about coming together of a team, this is supposed to be about the difficulty in keeping the team going. I don't think they needed Scarlet Witch at all. I think you've got enough complex, big personalities there for that conflict to come out, especially after Winter Soldier and the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. So that was unnecessary. But and especially we- after Tony Stark creates Ultron. I, I would be yes. pretty pissed at him. Absolutely. <laughs> and they, they kind of paper over that and get on the same team for five or ten minutes of screen time, and then... They let drop. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. they're torn apart by Scarlet Witch. And I was thinking, like you, like you said, Ali, like there was no need for Scarlet Witch to be this the sower of discord because there was plenty of discord to be had ten minutes ago. And and then when we do get to Vision, and you got to suspend your disbelief, yes, around how Vision is created. But my favorite scenes did involve Vision. And mm-hmm. the story of Vision has always been tied to the story of Ultron. But those scenes between those, those two characters were really interesting in their discussion of humanity. And I know, Lowen, you're protesting to my comparison with Ex Machina. Yes, they're very different films. But it could have been, if we had more room, if Joss had a little bit more room to breathe here, if there were less characters in here, I think the Vision-Ultron dialectic of those two characters could have been a really fascinating one, a really interesting one. And, um, you know, there was... there. Were, there were things I liked about this film. I should probably mention those before the viewers. Well, write let in. me just say before you go on, that was my favorite moment from the whole movie. Uh, was that um, the that, dialogue between them? That showdown between Vision and the last Ultron bot. Yeah. Uh, at the very end, where uh, Ultron says to the Vision, Human, "Humans are doomed," and Paul Bettany just kind of puts his head down and he briefly sort of whispers, "Yes." And that's really cool that you know that that. Yeah. 
Whedon's vision for us as a as a race, yeah. it's, you know, um, it's like we're not going to make it. You know, is that um, why he always kills off someone every movie? Yeah. Probably. Uh, and then and then the line, you know, but a thing is not beautiful because it lasts, and yeah. that's a very very Whedon sentiment that once it was uttered on screen, made a lot of the rest of the movie make sense, and or at least somewhat make sense, you know, and. So I thought that moment was was very, very well done, and it, it almost retroactively earned goodwill for moments that had gone before. Well, and, and what Conrad was saying about those uh, those moments with Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, or whatever it's called, <laughs> um, I love those moments, Conrad. Those, those, that's Joss Whedon doing... His what he best. does best. Yeah, those yep. ensemble pieces about these ragtag, funky teams coming together, whether it's a, the Scoopy Gang or whether it's Firefly, um, whatever it might be, that's what Joss is so amazing at. And those scenes were so awesome. Um, the uh, uh, Charlie Jane Anders and in, in her review at io9 has talked about the symbolism in the second phase of Marvel, where each character does have these these symbols, whether it's Captain America's shield, Thor's hammer, Iron Man's armor. Um, uh, I'm blanking on another character, but that what we've seen in phase two in phase one was about how they were the only ones able to wield these these symbols and control them. And in Phase 2, there's been a breakdown of that, where Winter Soldier was able to capture and hold on to Captain America's shield, and now we see someone else wield Thor's hammer. But one of the greatest moments here is when Captain America was lifting it, and he lifted it just a little bit, <laughs> and he saw Thor's, Thor's reaction. Face. Yeah, That's he, beautiful. These scenes like that are what Joss really does best. You're right. And it's nice seeing them not in a fighting context. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in their so, sort of in their everyday lives, so to speak, yeah. um, just in a social context. There's that, you know, there's them kind of having fun with the veterans and Stanley makes his, his appearance as he does. Um, <laughs> yeah. The whole little bantering between Tony Stark and Thor about their ladies, yes, and how yes. how smart and successful their their significant others are, but that they can't be there because they're too busy running the world. Basically, like there's a lot of great character building and interaction in these scenes. And when when I initially saw this, I was very excited. I said, "Oh, this is great! This is where this is going." And then it didn't really follow through for the well, rest well, of it, then, except, except... And then Black, Black Widow appeared on the screen. Well, right. And, and, and So that's the, that's the problem here. Right. That's one of the major problems here is... Well, that's what I was going to talk about as well. Go for it, Conrad. I'll, I'll let you go first. No, it's, it's... I found the whole piece... I think that it's fine if you want to build up a rapport between Black Widow and Hulk and Bruce Banner... And I think that that's okay, but it didn't make a ton of sense to me in the way that they decided to do it. This um, romance that came out of nowhere, or at least the feelings that she's developed for Bruce Banner. And it, it, so every other 
if you're a male character now, I sh- well, I should say we did have the the scientist um, who was female, and and there were some female scientists in that opening scene, which I actually really loved that opening scene, just to see the movie begin mid action with the Avengers on a mission and on a mission that is continuing the story from the first Avengers films. That's great. That is, it's it's almost like you picked up the next issue of the comic book um, after after Avengers. That's that's great, well done. Um, but with Black Widow here, every it's you have one major female lead in the film, uh, the most well developed female character that the MCU has, the character that really brought together much of the team. And she's the one person that uh, her character is basically just uh, subjugated to being this romantic interest. And there's been some controversy as well about um, Black Widow discussing being sterilized and that impact that 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 had on her and how Joss Whedon does have these quote unquote damaged women, damaged powerful women throughout many of his shows and his series. Um, it, It just seems like it was in such poor taste to uh, to take the character in this direction. So I definitely had a discussion about the Black Widow romance with one of my nerdier buddies when I was leaving the theater on Thursday. And he said, yeah, they're only, they're only woman character and she's got to have a romance. And then I said, yeah, no, I get that. I get the criticism. But she was the pursuer. She was not a romantic interest. Like you said, Ali, she, she was the one driving the action. She was the one making it happen. She was not, you know, Mark Ruffalo's romantic interest. It was the other way around. So I thought they even, you know, and to think that she's, just because she's a female character doesn't mean she has to be, you know, uh, a Ripley-type badass. Uh, and that's the only way that she can be a female action star. She can have romantic interests. And that, and I, I think the fact that she was driving it and they made this sort of, uh, you know, they sort of just had these mature discussions about whether or not to pursue it. I thought it was, even though it, it felt almost, a, you know, a ne- not a hundred percent necessary that it, it still, I thought they dealt with it in a way that was actually a little tasteful. It, it was better. It was better than what it could have been. And I think this is another example of this movie was just too full of too much stuff. Um, had there been more room to breathe, the characters might have – it might have been a little bit more interesting. And right. And I think you could have done away with this particular storyline and not really lost a lot uh, – lose a lot with in terms of – what the film was doing and you could have pushed it in that in the direction you wanted without having this in it. Uh, and, and the integrity of the film and the storyline still would have been fine. You still could have figured out a way. Well, I mean, Bruce Banner and Hulk, they're always tortured. So he can take off at the end of the film well, <laughs> for, for whatever reason, you know what I mean? So it's like, well, but I, I guess the part of, sorry, Conrad, I mean to cut you off. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> The anyway, part- anyway, I think you could have done that and not had this weird romantic storyline that to me felt very forced. So go, go on, Lewin. <laughs> yeah, I guess the part of it that sort of made sense to me was that 
she develops this role. She had this role that was part of her mission and part of her job to recruit the Hulk, to recruit Bruce. She had developed this role over time on the team, which was to kind of calm down the Hulk and bring Bruce back. And she almost fell in love with him by discovering his vulnerabilities, you know, his, by encountering his rage and the monster side of him and seeing him for who he was. And that's what she fell for. And not because he was pretty, not because he was rich or successful or, you know, anything like that, but because she encountered his vulnerabilities and they had a connection there. Now the whole sterilization, again, that, that was like an exposition dump. I, that was the problem I had with it more than any kind of sexism issue, but maybe I'm being dull to the, to those issues. Uh, but, um, but I don't know. I, I guess that part of it did sort of make sense to me. So I, I had less of a problem with it. Well, there's a few more things that I want to say as we start to begin to wind down this discussion, because there's a lot about the MCU we have to discuss in our crossover chamber. Um, but a, f- a few more things. Um, I, I really liked it. You guys, how, how much we were visiting different parts of the world. It was great to uh, to see this movie go to Africa, go to Korea, um, go to Eastern Europe, even though it felt very much like the premise of Superman Returns, and I don't mean that as a compliment, um, that final scene of the film or the final leg of the film. Um, I, I was a little disappointed we didn't see Black Panther in his, in his uh, country, um, but, you know, that is what it is. Um, a few more things that I think are a little problematic. I'm going to give my same criticism. You both know it. You're sick of hearing this criticism from me. But where are the memorable scores, the themes to these characters? We've seen these characters throughout in all of these films. And I dare you. I will give you all the money in my wallet right now if you can hum or think in your head any of the musical cues that go along with these characters. You can't, because there are none. Marvel has done a really poor job of developing any type of musical themes to these characters in their wonderful cinematic universe. And and then the last thing I will say that I'm curious if, if you both feel this way too, but I wish Marvel Studios had, hadn't telegraphed as much of what's coming next. Um, I know the whole Thanos scene for us, we know where this is headed. We know there's an Infinity War. The next Avengers film is going to be Infinity War. We know the next Marvel film after Ant-Man is Civil War. We know what's coming down the pipe, and I wish we didn't. Um, Because we didn't when we saw Avengers 1. And when we saw Thanos, we got pretty excited about that. But now we know pretty much everything that's going to be coming for the next few years. Right. And, you know, and they also set up a little bit, um, a little bit with Scarlet Witch and and Vision, which, you know, very, very briefly and didn't make a ton of sense, but still, they tried to set it up a little bit there. So I think we know sort of the setup for the next few films. And I do think you're right. It, It is a little bit of a spoiler, but I feel like if they hadn't, it would be very confusing, Ollie. So I, I, you know, I think it's a tough. They got to walk the line here and get it, get it sort of prepped for the next round or the next sort of um, the next phase. But I, I feel like they kind of have to do that. 
I think that's Marvel Studios feeling like they they have to do that. We had really no setup for Guardians of the Galaxy or or for Winter Soldier, two of the best Marvel films, I think, that that really meet all of the criticisms I have for this movie and far exceed them. Um, we didn't really have much setup for those films at all in the previous ones. Um, maybe a little bit for Winter Soldier in the previous Captain America, but... Um, any final thoughts for, for both of you on Avengers Age of Ultron? Um, I, I wasn't as down on it as you were, Ali, but I definitely did not come away with the same feeling I had when I watched Avengers, uh, the first Avengers. Um, and so, but I mean, I think if you're a fan, you're going to like it and there's, there's a lot of good in it. So I can't, I can't give it, I guess I have to give it like, a. I don't want to call it a mediocre rating but maybe a mid, <laughs> maybe like a middling rating for me so so there you are Lowen. final thoughts Lowen. i love the banter i had a lot of fun i i don't really necessarily disagree with any any of the criticism you criticisms you guys brought up i i, I guess i feel a little bit better about the black widow hulk romance um but i i agree completely on the problems with ultron and the disposable baddies uh, I guess I feel like I got so much out of the witty dialogue and the fun banter and the character conflicts and the ensemble moments that I, and I knew, I didn't go into this looking for a con, looking for a, you know, uh, we've had 12 Star Trek movies. How many memorable villains have we had? One. So, uh, I would you know, say I, two. Board Queen two. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, and then once you get a memorable memorable villain in your franchise, you grind that villain into the ground. We've seen Loki. In, <laughs> we've seen Loki in three Marvel movies. We've seen the Borg done to death in Voyager. We've sure. seen Khan twice. Yeah, so that's true. Memorable villains are really really hard, and that's not what I was looking for at all here. So I had fun pretty much despite all your criticism. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, with that, um, dear nerdlings, Conrad, are you ready? I think we should we should I do am this. Definitely ready for a quick crossover. Let's venture into the infinite crossover chamber. Um. All right, folks. So today in the infinite crossover chamber, we are pitting. The Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 versus in the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 2. Uh, so Phase 1, of course, including all the films from Iron Man to the original Avengers. And a little bit of a cheat today, Phase 2, including Iron Man 3 through Avengers Age of Ultron. Although technically Phase 2 ends with Ant-Man coming out later this summer. Our question today is is a simple one. This one, this question comes from Lowen, um, and it's which phase was more fun? That's kind of what these Marvel films are all about. You just summed it up nicely there, Lowen, with with the villain comment. Um, so, opening salvos in our crossover chamber. That's I'm gonna like, I was going to let Lowen go first, <laughs> actually. Uh, you know, I, I don't... I don't, I don't know. I, I feel awkward kicking this one off. I, they're hard to compare because there are some really great successes in Phase 2, like a few that you just mentioned, Ali, uh, Winter Soldier, uh, and, um, well, 
Winter Soldier probably being the biggest success. And I really Guardians though. And Guardians, sorry, and Guardians. And this one I liked. um, And and, um, those are probably the most well done Marvel movies since the very first Iron Man. Yeah. Um, But the very first Iron Man and getting to meet Captain America for the first time and the sort of old timey propaganda feeling that what it was it Joe Joe Johnston I think brought to that. and the Avengers. And the very first Avengers, clearly, yeah. See, this is why you should have started, Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's hard for me. I, I guess I would, I would choose phase one. Um, but it, like, that's what makes the choice hard. Yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting because phase one was really about the introduction of many characters. And Conrad, to what you were saying about the setups for future films, uh, we've talked about this before, and Kevin Feige, uh, the real, the, the person in charge of unifying the cinematic universe, um, talked about how it was sort of a, it, it, uh, it, John Favreau kind of put it in as a little bit of a joke in, at the end of the Iron Man of kind of alluding to, to uh, this larger universe of superheroes that existed and they just happened to have the rights to the original Avengers and that's kind of how all this stuff started. Uh, But there wasn't really a lot of this kind of planned interlocking universe with Phase 1. With Phase 2, which was announced after Avengers came out and it was a huge success, they really went all in on this um, intermixing, interlocking universe. That's also when we, when we got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's been a lot of one-shots, these shorts throughout all of this. And I think Phase 2 has been about this um, interlocking of the universe with just a little bit of expanding with it. And that was Guardians of the Galaxy was the only real introduction. And we'll have Ant-Man later over here. But if we had to look at just between these two... Even though Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Guardians of the Galaxy are my favorite films, I gotta go with Phase 1. And the reason for that is, being a fan at that time, it was so exciting to know that these films related together. Even though Incredible Hulk was not a great film. But when I saw it, to see Tony Stark there... And to have that connection and to to think, wait a minute, wait a minute, these these are like in the same kind of thing? And to see that continue forward uh, with Thor's hammer as a, as a uh, final cameo scene. Um, and to see the, the preview for Avengers after, after Captain America and then to see them all come together in Avengers, that was such a fun time. Um, and that was such an interesting time. And honestly, guys, I think this is why I'm more excited for Phase 3 over Phase 2, because we're going to get a lot of more introduction of new characters. It seems like Marvel does the introductory stuff better, because that stuff is less bogged down with a lot of the universe building and the franchise expanding. I, I'm not going to get into it as much as you did, Ali, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think anytime you have introduction of characters, especially beloved characters, that's always going to be very exciting. It's always exciting to see how they begin or how a team begins, such as in the Avengers and with Captain America, there was that great, uh, especially with the effects that they did, um, where you see what he looked like before 
the experiment and then after. And there, there were some really amazing pieces to those films that just kept you kind of just very interesting to see that and exciting and exciting because you're like, oh, I totally forgot about that. So it's, you know, so there's really amazing things going on there. I think it's tough to be in the phase two, even though there are some really great films there. But as you said, the story building, that's what they're primarily doing. And so I agree. I can't wait till we get back into some character introductions, um, gain some new characters like in into this storyline and hopefully freshening it up a little bit. But, you know, I also have to say, like, Phase 2 had Guardians of the Galaxy, which was a very different type of film. Um, so I'm a little bit torn, but I definitely have to lean towards Phase 1 as being more fun. Wow. Well, that was that was pretty easy. <laughs> I, also, <laughs> I also think with Phase 1, we had um, a bit more variety of uh, individuals behind the scenes. John Favreau, of course, he did both uh, Iron Mans, but then uh, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, doing Thor, um, I I really did not think I was gonna like the original Thor movie, but I thought it was so visually interesting and different than the other Marvel films, and all those scenes um, with uh, all those scenes kind of out there uh, were really interesting. The Earthbound stuff was a little bit less so, but we had a, a variety of people being involved here, and um, that was really cool and. You know, it's going to be interesting with Phase 3, Conrad, because we, we're going to have another Captain America, um, but it's Civil War. We're going to have Tony Hawk. Uh, Tony Hawk, yes. He's going <laughs> to skateboard gonna it. He's going to skateboard. <laughs> yeah. But Versus Tony... Bart Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a crossover to see. But um, that storyline with Captain America squaring off against Iron Man, Tony Hawk, uh, Tony Hawk, Tony uh, Stark... Um, you know, that's a storyline that was intellectually interesting in the comics, but the comics weren't that good. Um, and then Spider-Man is now joining the MCU. Doctor Strange, um, the introduction there uh, with uh, Khan himself, Benedict Cumberbatch is, is in there. Guardians 2, uh, Thor Ragnarok. I'm actually quite excited for that, and I think that's going to tie into the Infinity War pretty well. And Finally, we're getting Captain Marvel, a female superhero here, um, and Black Panther. It's it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, as much as I, this might be something of a, a cathartic moment now. As much as I complain about some of the Marvel movies, lack of scores, lack of interesting villains, I got to admit it to both of you, Conrad and Lowen. I I have a ton of fun watching these films. Um, they're just. It's so cool that we're living in an era where we can debate MCU phase one versus phase two. I mean, did we ever think we'd ever be in this kind of reality when we were growing up? I don't think so. So they're both great, um, but phase one, definitely. Uh, I've got a lot of love for that that time. And it might be nostalgia, but mm -hmm. I have a lot of a lot of love for that era. All right, well, we have a consensus, so I think we are ready to move out of the crossover chamber and on to our top three this week. <laughs> yeah, so we're tying it down to top three. Um, uh, Ali, Ali. Yeah. The, oh, I didn't do it. And on to our top 
three. Thank you for that, Lowen. That's very dangerous. You don't want to leave the doors <laughs> of the crossover chamber open. Uh, bad stuff comes out. Yeah. No, no, you don't. Then you have to eject the warp core. Um, so, Conrad, what are we talking about today in the top three? Well, today, in honor of Joss Whedon, we are doing our top three Whedon moments, I guess. Uh, so, I'm not sure what this will bring from, from either of you, but I'm excited to hear about it. Um, so, Lowen, would you like to kick, kick this off? Yeah, so I have uh, a confession in that I never watched Buffy. So <laughs> my, my list is going to be very, very incomplete. And so if I don't include anything from Buffy, please don't, you know, rake me over the coals for it. Lowen, Lowen, Lowen. Well, we know <laughs> Conrad this is, is going to be This is Conrad judging you. Yeah, also, I, you, Ollie. <laughs> um, there's, I mean, I, I, I've actually never seen Doctor Horrible, so there's a lot of stuff what? that I that is sort of on my queue. Um, but um, my number three would be the Epitaph one and two episode from Dollhouse. Yeah. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, Conrad. I, I, let's hear him out. Uh, so this was the kind of thing where Dollhouse was a really exciting, cool, scary, sexy premise, and there were only brief flutters of moments where they got to do anything exciting, sex, scary, or sexy, or cool with it. And the times they did, it felt perfectly weeded, and it totally worked. And then I'd say 85% of the time, it, it was, you know, you got beautiful people in yoga pants, you know, uh, walking around some two-story underground bunker uh, and nothing else. So it was, it was a big letdown. And then uh, at the end of season one, I think then again at the end of season two, they had these flash-forward episodes into the future of what would happen if uh, the dollhouse technology uh, took over the world and how horrible and dystopian that would be. And that was really fun because it was more hard sci-fi and it was, it just, it worked as a story better than kind of everybody hanging out in this bunker wearing yoga pants. So they were fun and exciting and they were edgy and they were scary and um, it felt like there were actual stakes. And so I, to allude to what the promise of the show could have been, that was worth it for me. So, uh, Lowen, I've got that as an honorable mention, actually. Not Dollhouse, but Epitaph 1. Um, Conrad, did you ever see that episode? Yeah, I saw it. I still <laughs> thought it was crap. And I, thought that, I thought the whole show was crap. I really, that's probably, that whole, that whole show is on my, like, it's on, like, the worst list in the world of things. Wow. No, I just really, no, no, no. I, but but hey, you know I'll, I'll I will stand back and judge you from afar. Wow. <laughs> I, I think Joss Whedon's ability to take a show that did go the direction that it did and still have this cool, high concept, dystopian, zombie-like future episode is pretty cool. Um, so, Lo and I will back you up on that one. Um, <laughs> Con- Conrad, what is your number three? Uh, my number three is going, I picked actually a specific episode of Buffy, um, which was, uh, the body, which is when Buffy's mother dies. 
Um, and yeah, that's a big spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen <laughs> Buffy. But it is one of the most, because, I, and this is the thing, Joss Whedon kills off characters. You don't expect it to happen. Um, there's a lot within the Buffy universe that happens. But with this particular episode, things for like these seasons were not particularly good. Um, the, they were a little spotty. And this particular episode brought me back to like, oh, this is what he's really, really good at. I mean, you really, her mother is somebody that you kind of don't like throughout this series. And yet the whole mourning process and the, the just horrible shock of it for all the characters just really was heart wrenching. Very well done. Um, and you're kind of like, I can't believe I'm really caring this much about a character that was just sort of annoying throughout this series. So, um, it, you know, so there is, so that was brought, that's on my list. The other probably would fall under the Buffy universe would probably be Hush, which is the super creepy one with all the kind of ghoulish type people called the gentleman that can't talk. And it was an entirely silent episode. Uh, that's often quoted as one of the best episodes of Buffy. Uh, so. Lone, we're, we're going to have to do a screening of that one, you and me. To- I, you know what? That's an episode. It reads a, a lot like a fairy tale. Um, so you don't really necessarily need, you don't need any of the background to be able to watch it and enjoy it. Yeah, I, I definitely need to watch more Buffy as that is not an area of competence for me. Um, but my number three actually comes out of Buffy. Um, and that is the Buffy Vampire Slayer writer's room. Um, there is so much talent or there are so many interesting writers that uh, we've all been exposed to have come out of that that writer's room. Um, Jane Espenson, who, Conrad, I know you are a big fan of, and we've talked about her before, um, who was, has done so much. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, we know, uh, as well as, as Caprica. Uh, Drew Goddard, who was involved in, who's been involved in J.J. Abrams' company, uh, Bad Robot, has done a lot of stuff that we've seen over there. Uh, it came out of it, and um, I'm blanking on who else am I thinking of? Um, well, uh, ooh, oh, Doug Petri, uh, what's it? Fury. Um, there's like been, there's just a ton of them. There's a ton. Drew uh, Drew Greenberg was the other individual I was thinking of who's really been involved in Star Wars Clone Wars, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Arrow. Uh, just the, the people who came out of there really have taken over this genre writing. And um, it, I don't know what happened in that writer's room, but um, Joss really knew how to, how to lead a good group. Yep, I would give you that. That's a good choice. Cool. Let's move on to number twos. Uh, my number two is something Lowen already mentioned as something he has not seen, and that is Dr. Horrible Singalong Blog. Lowen, uh, you're missing out on so much, my friend. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, now, yeah, believe me, it's on the list. It's, it's a short one. It's easy to do, um, and it is fantastic. Dave, uh, 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 Nathan Fillion, as well as Neil Patrick Harris are in it, and um, Conrad, who am I blanking on here? Um, our female lead in Dr. Horrible, the always oh, uh, awesome... Felicia Day. Felicia yes. Day. 
Yeah. So it's it's got some of these big names of of geekery, and it's a musical. And we know Joss loves musicals because there was a Buffy Vampire Slayer musical episode as well. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. It's nice to see Joss and some of these big name actors kind of experimenting with this uh, content that was produced for the web originally. So it's a lot of fun, especially if you like musicals, something you got to check out. So that's Dr. Horrible. Um, I actually had that in my honorable mentions because I figured Ali would pick that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my number two is actually uh, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, be- which is the And I knew you were going to pick that, Conrad. Um, for a lot of reasons, but namely because they really just know their horror genres and they did a really great job at walking the line with this film. Um, and it was an awful lot of fun. And very specifically, I like their basement of terrifying creatures. Yeah. Uh, because there's a lot so of, cool. there's a lot of the coolest creatures mm-hmm. from all of your favorite films and sci-fi and horror films that end up there uh, and video games as well. So um, pretty, it was, it was pretty amazing. If you're into horror, you should watch it. Um, just excellent and excellent in terms of like the stereotypes that you see in those kinds of films. So that was my number two. Lona, what do you got? That's also my number two. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I I loved it. It was a lot of fun. I haven't seen a ton of horror, you know, I've seen some of the, some of the staples. I just, um, but, uh, and so I, I, I knew enough going in to really, really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Conrad, um, why don't we have you reveal your number one pick? Um, my number one, it was tough because I have a lot of love for how Joss treated the Incredible Hulk. And so that was originally going to be my number one. Um, but in terms, you know, just in seeing Bruce Banner and seeing the Hulk, and I felt the same way watching Avengers Age of Ultron. I just feel like he does the, he uses the Hulk in the best way. Um, that I've seen this, thus far, despite having many films made featuring the Hulk. Oh, so you're talking about how he integrated Hulk yes. in Avengers. Got yes. it. Okay. Um, but it's not, it didn't feel like it, it could be enough. Uh, so my number one, it has to be, uh, it has to be Firefly. Um, I, this is a, this is a series that, you know, everybody really loves, but, um, you know, it has, it's, it's really, um, legion of dedicated fans but i still like it i still part of me is glad that it kind of ended when it did just because i think it wouldn't have the cult following it did but it launched really the popularity there's so many people on the show that we now see other places christine Hendricks, uh summer glau nathan fillion um there's just there's a ton of people on this that i'm, I'm happy to see are still having careers um but it was really an imaginative treatment of a sci-fi Western, which I loved. Um, and he, it did all the things that Whedon does best. Um, and it wasn't, this was after the Buffy universe and it wasn't dollhouse. So it made me really, really (laughs) happy. Um, and, and I do, you know, I know he gets some, some, there are some issues with, with women, female characters in his shows, but I, but I did like the, the female characters that were in this one. Um, namely, uh, the, you know, he kind of turns certain stereotypes on its head. So the companion character is actually, she's actually some, I wouldn't call her royalty, but she's at like a higher 
level of society than anybody else. I also love the Jewel uh, State character. Oh, well, yeah, the engineer. Uh, who's the engineer and just, just kind of like, get out of my get out of my uh, workroom and is always constantly fixing things. And then I love uh, how she loves strawberries. Uh, she <laughs> does. But then there's also Gina Torres and she's Zoe Washburn and she's amazing. Uh, so I just, uh, there's a lot of things to like about this. And I, I would say if you haven't watched it, watch it and, and watch it in the correct order. Lowen, so. were you also Firefly? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I picked a specific episode. And it is specific. Uh, which one did you pick? I, so there are, there's like a lot. Said, I know. It, it, yeah, it ended right at the right time when they could just make a bunch of great episodes. Trash. So the the oh, one I picked good. is specifically the moment where uh, at the very end where they double cross the person at the end of that. I guess I'll try not to give it away. Um, and uh, you've got Nathan Fillion out in the middle of the desert, buck naked, and uh, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, and he's like, "Yep." Good day. Good it starts day. with that, right? Isn't yeah, that the, right, uh, the yeah. tease? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, maybe it's because Nathan Fillion's naked. Maybe that's why I like that moment so much. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would not argue with you there. <laughs> uh, but it's just that sort of captured all the camaraderie and the magic of, of that show and the inventiveness and the heists that they pulled episode after episode. So, um, yes, it's Firefly. It had to be Firefly. Um, but it's specifically, uh, that was a moment I thought that captured kind of what everything I loved about that show. So my number one is not Firefly. Uh, my number one is Serenity. <laughs> and uh, no, look, I, I love Firefly. And I, I actually, I thought Serenity was okay. But the reason why Serenity is my number one is it is the return of Firefly in a in into a movie is so symbolic of Joss Whedon's strengths. His ability to really understand fandom, to understand and create content that does lead to such cult followings. Um, I think that is amazing. He's mentioned before how much he loves going to Comic-Con because it's such a cathartic, therapeutic type of thing for him where he gets to connect with people who love his work and it's it's so healing for him because he, he's kind of always wondering like how this stuff translates and, and what does translate and all that kind of stuff. Um, so Joss knows how to do this kind of stuff, but it also was the first feature film he ever did. So I think like J.J. Uh, Abrams doing Mission Impossible and then Star Trek and now moving on to Star Wars, he was able to kind of work out some of the kinks and learn how to how to make a feature film before he went on to do something like Avengers. So I think uh, Serenity is kind of symbolic of a lot of his strengths, and I just freaking love Firefly. Um, See, I thought you were going to pick Toy Story. I was convinced of it. Honorable mention for me. That's that's so. That's what's so interesting about Jaws is he's been involved in Toy Story. He wrote he wrote that along with a few other folks. Speed, Alien Resurrection. Um, he was Which involved. He doesn't like to mention. <laughs> yeah, why not? Do, can you blame him? But yeah. Fox did change a lot of the the direction right, right, right. he wanted to take things. He was involved in Roseanne. He did. He directed on The Office and Glee. 
Um, he's done a ton of other stuff, and just the other two, or the other honorable mention I want to mention is um, he's a pretty good comic book writer too. Oh, I knew I was going to say Astonishing X Men definitely has right? to be in that lineup. Yeah, yeah. issues number one through twenty four are awesome. If you're a fan of X Men, you got to check it out. And the ongoing Buffy series, which is like continued seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and then his Firefly comics too that kind of uh, explained how those creepy blue glove guys came from um, he knows how to do comics I also wanted to mention another in my honorable mention I don't know if either of you saw it but his uh, Much Ado About Nothing which was really good (laughs) 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 I, I don't know if you can suffer through Shakespeare, but it is it is well done and features a lot of the people that you see in a lot of a lot of things like Nathan Fillion and Alexis uh, Denisoff, and uh, there is just a ton of people in there. But it's it's an interesting take on it. So if you haven't caught that, you should definitely try. Well, and I hope Joss gets to do more of that kind of stuff now in the future more cabin in the woods and more much to do about nothing uh more kind of smaller more intimate stories definitely yeah loan any anything you want to mention any honorable uh, mentions i think you guys have covered everything i wanted to say um yeah i i think that's uh everything I would have liked to check off. Well, listeners, we would love to hear from you. What did you think about Avengers, uh, Age of Ultron, MCU, <laughs> Phase 1 versus Phase 2, and what are some of your favorite moments from the wide variety of work that Joss Whedon has been involved in? Um, Lowen, in the meantime, where can our listeners find you? Uh, a variety of places. Uh, I'm here in San Francisco, and I'm on- <laughs> <laughs> If you want to say hi to Lowen in person. <laughs> Yeah, just stop on by. Uh, And then I'm on Twitter, and it's at Lowen, L-O-W-E-N. And Conrad, where can people find you? On Reanimated, reanimatedpodcast.com, and on Twitter, reanimatedpcast, and my handle on Twitter is Prince. And I am at Matu on Twitter. You can also find me at BrainNosBetter.com, where I write about the psychology of science fiction. And I am also on uh, ThePsychShow.com, where we're putting out a where. It's me. Um, no one else. But I do have a guest for this week's episode, and it's a special Star Wars-themed episode this week. I hope you guys will enjoy that. Um, dear Nerdlings, please contact us um, at NerdHour.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Nerdlings. Nerd Hour. We'd love to hear from you. And you can email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Next week, Conrad and I are ditching Marvel for the ultimate exploration of the DC Universe. We're going to be talking about multiversity. Um, so, very different discussion next week, Conrad. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And until then, folks, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs>